You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. What bothers me is when I see people working out and running to music that's in a different tempo. Than their- <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that's hard. You know what? They need to make an app for that. You, you type in how fast you're running on the treadmill and it figures out where your steps should land. Are we at that Slayer nice. or are we at Beyonce? Because yeah. <laughs> well, I'm a D- I'm on DJ. I was thinking about that app actually. You could have it. So um, because you know it, it it senses your like the phone senses mm-hmm. your pace. Yeah. So mm-hmm. your Fitbit or whatever you, you know it, it senses your pace. So it, it senses your BPM, and then you can just automatically just plug in music that's in that. Uh, All right, we're gonna we're gonna yeah. we'll make that happen. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. I'm Siobhan Cronin here once again with my cohorts. First this time, Corey Peza. Hi, how's it going? Hey, Corey. And Benny Goodman. You're assuming they're back. How do you know this is not the first time they're listening because our guest is fucking rad? Well, apparently we've been so bad at telling people to subscribe. So let me remind you right now, please do subscribe. You can go to 2020-d.com. Go in your whatever Apple podcast, Spotify, wherever you listen. Yeah. Hit that subscribe button. Like it too. Like Like it. it. Let us know. I don't get the endorphin release unless you. Why do you want to put the fucking thumbs down? Put the thumbs up because you know I used I used to feel young saying I was a millennial, but now I'm like so many generations behind. There's now Gen Z and all these TikTokers and stuff, and I'm just I'm just feeling old. I don't even know what to tell people to do anymore. If you're old, then we're screwed. (laughs) But anyway, before we are they going to know our guests if they're old? If they're not old, we haven't even introduced our guest yet. So before we get carried away, let me introduce that today we have the masterful Ulrich Wilde, who is behind so much of the music that you've heard, seen, listened to, you know, all Owls throughout. Chains, White yeah. Zombie, Sting, Doggy Style, Snoop Dogg in the house. What's my name? And then they have Dirt. That's one of my favorite records ever. He also did Green Jelly, which is Little Pig, Little Pig, Let Me. Not about it. And if you like Tool, <laughs> stupid fucking fact, Maynard James Keenan is the wolf in that. And then he does uh, Death Clock. If you didn't love Death Clock, Science the the one record that matters by Incubus in my opinion Pantera stained I mean one yeah, of the biggest the guy bands, it's the guy's discography silly! yeah his 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 credits are insane you've definitely heard his work uh, he's he's a very very fascinating person to listen to as far as the technical side of how some of these records came together uh, and and he's very very humble considering uh, the work that he has done and who he's worked with. Yeah, so here we go. Before we give too much away, check out part one with Ulrich Wild. Hello and welcome to another episode of 2020. My name is Corey Peza and I'm here as always with my co-hosts, Siobhan Cronin. Hey. And Benny Goodman. Again, hay is for horses and cows, but we'll let it slide. I'm going to stick to more, it. It's more like thing. an interjection this time. It was like an interjection. <laughs> right. Well, more importantly, uh, with us today, we have a very special guest, uh, someone who uh, has been a part of many of your lives, whether you know it or not. Um, My mixtapes in particular. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, producer, mixer, engineer, uh, Ulrich Wild, whose uh, credits include Woo! Alice in Chains, Pantera, Incubus, Slipknot, Stained, Breaking Benjamin. Uh, and even Death Clock, which some of you might have known. No, from no, the no. Show. And even uh, Snoop fucking Dog, because that was crazy. Because that record changed my life, and we'll get into that. <laughs> but like when I was listening to Judas Priest, Pantera, and Iron Maiden, and all that, all of a sudden came gangster rap, and this dude was on both sides. He's like the Velociraptor staring at you as the other one comes up behind you, and it's Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. <laughs> well, the list, the list of uh, credits, we could be here all day. Uh, they're all incredible. But first off, just thank you for taking the time to be with us. Well, thank you for having me. I guess the the main thing we can get started on is is you know with such a, an illustrious career, what what got you into engineering and and producing? Um, you know, I guess I wasn't good enough to be a performer. <laughs> <laughs> it's adaptability, um, right there. <laughs> that is uh, kind of the gist of it. Uh, did you try to be? Did you did you try to? pursue music before you moved? I, I was in bands when i was a kid a teenager in switzerland you know nothing came of it um and then it just kind of it was a means of of coming back to san francisco again where where i was for for a little while studying english um 
And then I, I just kind of liked it and started pursuing it. I, 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 I was always doing the techno stuff and when I was in the bands. Mm. So it was really just kind of a, you know, that arm just got longer and the, the performance are it's funny you got, say techno stuff because usually a lot of the millennials that are, lif- are listening think that you might be on the, like the the tables and not even the real tables but like the pioneers no, 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 the, 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 the technical aspect the technical of, aspect uh, well we just have uh, to clarify because yeah. i'm a dumb guitar player you yeah, should know better not, yeah, the, yeah. not the boots and cats and boots and cats <laughs> no uh, really and and at that point what we're talking about is uh the Tascam four track actually it was a vestifier uh four track cassette is that uh, like an adat or one of those or is it like a, a high eight or did you burn it onto like betamax like it was basically a rock <laughs> um it was a cassette tape like a literal like you know hipster cassette <laughs> um that actually you know and, and uh a stereo obviously has two tracks and so you flip those over so there's another two tracks so there's a total of four tracks available to you on a on a on that little cassette now do you use the yeah. high position cassettes like did you use the chromium dioxide ones because i don't know why but those ones sounded better and i'm like is a high like how that, high does this position need to be to be better sounding that was kind of later really we didn't have those options at that point there was <laughs> the cassette and that was it <laughs> um it started to get a little fancier um yeah i mean you know they, they definitely it's just like any any tape um has has different qualities about uh you know the you know, just just the the composition of it and do you say that to it. all the tapes <laughs> well, then why don't you let him finish his sentences <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean you know you have the you know any of the two inch and half inch tape like you know, the 24 track machines that we used all those different tape formulations they had um they had different qualities and different hiss and different high end and different low end and you know it's, it's just like any product. as you got into engineering like what, what were some of your first uh projects that kind of maybe made you think that this is something you wanted to pursue as a career well it, you know it, it started out as as um as a I started as a runner in a, in a mm-hmm. studio in san francisco and the one of the very first projects that came through was actually joe satriani oh, uh, with john cooney birdie yeah i'm old um, <laughs> that's amazing uh, well, you could run back then that laugh yeah uh, uh and and i got to make coffee for them that was uh like one like the first first things um and from there just moved up to assisting and and then engineering very uh and that that was kind of the established way to get in the industry at that point, right? Much, there, yeah. You couldn't just yeah. you know just start a studio for them. Like if you wanted to like learn, because there was no YouTube, there was no you know ability to to kind of figure this out. You couldn't have a home studio because a studio at that point cost a little bit of money. Um, so that's a that's a pretty common path. Lot. Yeah, it's a, a com- lot of money. Um, so you know, as you as you moved up, what aspect of the engineering kind of caught your ear? Um, was it, was it being in the creative environment or was it the technical side of things? Just, I think a little bit of all of it. I mean, the, the most important part of engineering really is the, the, the psychological aspect of it. Um, the technical stuff that's easy to learn really, you know, that's just crack open a book and, and learn about signal flow and, and really every knob just makes something louder somewhere. You know what I mean? That's yeah. kind of like the end of it. I'm still learning. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, like the the nuances are there. Obviously, this mic, this this, this mic, this this tape sounds like that. That mm-hmm. tape sounds like it. Um, and so, you know, that's just knowledge that comes over time. And but the you know the harder part is to talk a musician down from the ledge to get a performance, or you know, I mean, or like help somebody with the writer's block, or you know, whatever you know, accept them or you know, find ways to get them to accept uh you know a new new horizon for their art or you know something just just different that's that's really the difficult part the engineering portion of it is fun you know and it's so so section so second nature to me at this point that i have to really watch out that i don't kind of get stale for it so I, i purposely actually uh try new things every time i uh i i record 
uh, a new band, I always try to shake it up a little bit. So it's not always the same thing. You got to play through this. I've got to play through that. That's good. Cause I can imagine, especially if you're working consistently, like you have been for so many years, it's really easy to get into kind of a routine and almost a template. Um, so you're saying that you just kind of like maybe throw like a, a wrench in the machine to see if it brings you somewhere new. Oh, for, for sure. I mean, the, you know, back in the day you would, rent a studio and you go there with the band and you'd have the equipment that the studio was known for. Um, and, and that was the, and the, and the room, the, the sound of the room and, you know, it's just the experience overall. And you, you'd get a certain sound, a certain, uh, you know, snapshot in time when you made that record, because, you know, the next client was coming in, you had to leave. There's no piddling about, unless you had huge budgets, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's get in, get get it done and, and leave and go usually to a different studio, the mix and get that done and, and, be, and be done and, and fret until, you know, the record comes out and people hear it. Um, and so that there was a, a snapshot in time for for a record um and now you know a lot of people have their places a lot of people have their own gear and um like I, you know I, I always i record everybody here at my, at my place and I, so i have my stuff and um you know just branching out and and and, and having the bands come in with their equipment is, is refreshing so i want to always start out with, with, with the equipment that they have um, because that is their starting point. They came to that as, unless they're very, very young, yeah. but as, as, a, as a journey of, of experimenting, of, of live performances, of, um, you know, just their, their vision, this, the equipment that they have is what they arrived on. And that's what we start out with. If, if, if we can't get what we want out of that, then we'll explore. But that's one way to keep keep everybody unique as opposed to this is the best amp in the world. You got to yeah. play through this amp. Otherwise, you know, we're not going to make a good record. It's like everybody plays at the same amp and uses the same snare sample. Then, you know, <laughs> you, you get what we have now. So you know? you've worked <laughs> you've worked with some some obviously incredible acts um, that have a sound. Uh, you know, so can you talk about maybe specifically any artists you worked with that came in and you had to, did you felt a pressure to maybe maintain a certain sonic element or, or trait that they, they had prior to working with you? The established tax, mm -hmm. they have gotten to that place because they, they, they've been good so far and they've, they've worked into that, into that sound. Um, and so usually we just continue on where they left off. Right. Um, you know, there's the backwards compatibility issue, you know, right. um, but you work but with a band, you work with a band like Pantera. Um, is, is that just, so you're saying that just, they come in and you, do you just get out of the way and, and let them do their thing? Well, you might want to get out of the way because I feel like Dimebag could be throwing like whiskey at your head, or maybe making you take yeah, shots that, that, of like uh, hot sauce. Well, that can that can certainly happen. Um, <laughs> the you know for, for starters, I, I wasn't producing Pantera. I was uh, you know helping Terry. Okay. Um, Does anyone produce Pantera? I feel like no one can well, but, produce like they just they they were in the room with those guys. Am I crazy? Well, yeah, no. No I mean, one puts Dimebag in a corner, man. No, I mean, that, that's definitely a point. Um, like a, a great band or great artists are, are somewhat self-producing, you know, because they have that vision, they have that drive, they have that, um, you know, that fire to, to get, and the, and the knowledge that comes along with it to, to get that thing done. And, and yes, sometimes the most important job of the producer is to stay out of the way, you know. Um, and it really can can vary greatly from project to project. One one artist literally just needs somebody to bounce ideas off of and, and kind of you know have, have have a dialogue about things, and other people just need to be completely whipped in shape. You know, yeah. it, it really that's yeah, that makes sense. Um, and just before we we do gloss over you know Pantera because I know at least two of the uh, the members on this call are you know have li listened to that record. Uh, 
quite a bit. Can you talk a little bit about your contributions and, and what your part was in that? Um, yes. You know, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, my contribution was, was insignificant, you know, um, the, as I said, you know, I'm, I was there as officially my title was engineer. Um, and, and Terry was the producer slash co-producer. I forgot what the credit reads, but because the, you know, Dime and Vinny and, 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 and Rex and Phil, they, you know, they're, they're self-producing in, in a grand, grander, grander scheme of things. Um, and, and, you know, the, the job of Terry as a producer was to help them make this best record. And that's always the job is, you know, you help somebody make the best record that they can make. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so with, with, you know, I was there, you know, predominantly for technical support. Yeah. Um, you know, they had, I feel like their, they needed a lot of technical support. Like, did you make the Jaeger bombs for them? <laughs> did you make the seven and sevens, the black tooth grins? Because from my little, experience the first thing that Dimebag ever said to me was can you draw ace and then push your girl in my way with a sharpie mar marker so like i feel like being technical support for pantera might be different than for some other bands um you know they certainly were their own wild selves uh in in, in our the wild family right <laughs> they uh you know they, I, I mean i learned uh, the, the really the the thing is how much did i learn from them as opposed to what my, was my imprint on 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 you know for of my thing what i did with them i helped uh you know obviously the the, the usual thing of uh you know recording and running tape machines and whatever we actually recorded those guitars on da88s believe it or not um I do believe it yeah. because uh, Dime didn't like the the delayed punching of 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 uh, of, of two inch tape, hmm. um, and uh, you know so just finding finding the sounds for everything was was a huge was a huge thing, um, and and oddly enough, what we ended up with as their main guitar sound was not the fancy Neve preamps and eqs and what we normally did but the the sound that he ended up liking was actually a, a tiny little mackie mixer um yeah so just interfacing all of that they were building all the you know that whole studio um in his new house and part of that experience was was help finish you know tying things together and get it ready for recording i mean they they had somewhat they, they've gotten their tape machine in they got the, the console in that they wanted and it was just you know getting ready to to be operational and so it was you know part of so that. basically while the death star was being completed darth vader was like come use this four track mackie <laughs> in the back we're gonna get it old school style because i remember the first time i went to longview farm studios that has a neve i sat down with my producer the first time i got lucky and that i was old enough to make a record the old school way and he asked me well what can i use for a reference for sound and I pulled up Pantera, yeah. the, uh, the, the vulgar display of power. And he was like, why do you have problems with mids? I'm like, I love the sound <laughs> of this record. We had a Bogner, we had a Matchless, we had VHT. And, and he said, he started explaining, he's like, you're not going to get it, but this only works because of everything else on this record. And that's why you like it. And I said, no. <laughs> and then I, that was the first time I realized, have your own tone. And that works for Dimebag, but not for you, man. That, um, there's certainly truth to that. Um, the the thing about tone is most of it or a, a large part of it comes from your picking hand um, oh, yeah. that is uh what, what a lot of people just neglect um you know they think it's all the flashy uh left hand stuff but really the the sound the actual sound of the instrument is is the picking hand the gear of course is important nobody's going to argue with that but um you know you could take any guitarist you could take you know eddie van halen rest in peace and put it on any rig and it'll sound like eddie van halen but nobody can get on his rig and start, start well let me ask you this i say i have a, a column called neurotic guitarist where i do explain i have 160 guitars i haven't gotten any better and neither is my tone even though i have awesome stuff and i always i always say it is 
tone is in your fingers and it's the same thing. You know, everyone, you hear the story, I went through Brian May's rig, I went through Eddie Van Halen's rig, and I just sounded like me as a producer and an engineer. Do you think that like tone is in your fingers? So where the tone stops for dime or stops for whatever guitar player you're working with, are you the other guy that doesn't really, does it matter that you're going through the SSL or the Neve or is it just, you, you can use anything and you're just a tweaker and that's the tone in your fingers and that the rest of the equipment is the same as the guitar amp and the guitar because you're the producer and the engineer. Um, that's pretty much it. I mean, you know, like if you have gear that's too crappy, like a guitar that doesn't stay in tune, then you're just lost. You know what I mean? But, Assuming you like, have a baseline of usability. Yeah. Yeah. You can you know, I always say, give me, give me 2057s and a Mackie and we'll make a great record. You know, yes. um, <laughs> you don't need like the, the rest of it is excuses. You know what I mean? Is it going to be sounding the same as like the really high dollar gear like no but you know what it might actually have more charm it might actually be better because it has limitations and you have to be creative about it um so there ahead. was um there was a video i was watching uh from a few years back uh where you were, you were doing uh i think it was warren hewitt you were in your studio doing and you, you have a home studio uh mm -hmm. and it's a it's a relatively modest setup for for the work that you do, I think. And it kind of, it goes against a lot of what you see when you see, you know, check Corey, don't you know Billie Eilish made her record in her room? <laughs> right, of course. Come on, Corey, she won a Grammy. <laughs> she didn't mix it there though. Um, Are you sure? And, no, she sent it to, uh, I forget the guy's <coughs> name, but a much better mixer. Um, Chris Lord Algae. No, but but kind of the, you know, talking of Chris Lord Algae, you, you see his studio and you see the, the absolute pinnacle of every most sought after piece of gear the, the huge desk. number zero 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 one yeah, it's it's incredible and then you know being able to see and or hear what you're putting out with what is a very attainable setup for 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 most engineers compared to some of those other studios um it kind of goes to show you that it's not the gear it's your ear w where did that kind of utilitarian um mindset come from for you uh, cause you did start off in those, you know, the crazy studios and everything. At what point were you like, you know what? I can make this work with this. How, how many times did you go on like the chair across the board from like over there where <laughs> there was like probably like an amp and then over there there's like a vocal and you just have to go back and forth cause the SSL call, uh, console is so big. You can't even see the end of it. That, um, you know, the, the whole console thing is, is really funny because a lot of the stuff you aren't actually mixing while sitting in the sweet spot. So there's definitely... Uh, truth, uh, truth to that that behemoth sitting in the room, but um, you know it's actually in in those big expensive studios that you come to realize that the gear is just um, you know a means to an end um, because uh, when you travel from studio to studio, like I was able to do, not everybody not every every studio had the same stuff, and so you needed to accommodate. Like you know, it was like I always use four two ends on the toms, but that's they don't have any here so what do we do what do you guys use on the toms normally well here we go let's use those mm -hmm. then and see what happens um and you can't again unless you have the budget unlimited uh dollars you can't halt a session and wait for you know two weeks for a microphone to become available or for you know somebody to run out and get new mics while you're sitting in a residential studio in the woods or whatever um none of that you know, applies really. That's why it's, it's that it's that uh, having to become creative was like, well, I've never used this mic before. I guess these are our overhead mics today. So let's see how it goes. Yeah. Well, I just I want to jump in and ask a few questions because I'm obviously the odd one out here that doesn't understand anything about mixing. I'm a violinist, acoustic As player. As you sit in front of your like uh, your NS10 well, wannabe. Well, Yamaha's okay. So this, but this is studio. primarily don't, my husband's don't studio. Those speakers because I have. Those. I love them. I love them. I'm just saying that that's like the quintessential speaker that she's sitting in front of a beautiful console studio. So tell us more how you don't know anything, Siobhan. No, but I, I, I'm trying to learn. So what I'm interested in hearing, you know, you said that earlier that you started as a runner in a studio and obviously were able to get the exposure to start doing this as a living. And I'm interested to hear how you actually learned or got to put that into practice because now, you know, there's so much overwhelming information available online and all this gear and everyone feels like they need all this gear and programs and stuff. And for me, I almost feel like it's harder to learn because... I don't even know where to start as someone that does recordings in my house and wants to try and mix it on my own, let's say. The, I mean, that is 
the thing that changed. I, I went to, and this, this is going to circle back a long ways here, but I went to recording school um, as kind of one of my first things. And it was terrible. It was terrible recording school. And I was very down on recording schools um, because you actually learned the trade and the craft in the studio from other people. And kind of your hint was when you didn't learn so much anymore and, and you can't, you know, you always learn something, but like once the rate of learning goes down and you're kind of getting the sense of like, Oh, I could do this on my own. I, you know, I the think threshold I, is being yeah, turned. Kind of learned what I can learn. And you start flying uh, away and do your own thing. Um, that those opportunities are not, uh, you know, that available anymore to people. So the recording schools, I think, are more important now um, for for people to learn things and, and find uh, find a, a community and, and mentors or what have you. Um, because now, basically, as a musician, you're required or expected to buy a piece of equipment and learn how to engineer out of a manual. Um, so that you know, so these, these courses and online courses and, and, and YouTube and everything is, is, uh, is, is very helpful. I mean, I find myself referencing some of that stuff um, simply because it's, it's just the easy, good way to do it. Um, so I, I don't actually remember what your question was, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, um, ultimately, the yeah you know you have all this equipment out there and you're being and this is a whole larger issue of being bombarded with advertisement and and uh and all that stuff and and so you do feel like oh i need all this i need this i need that too otherwise i can't make a real good record and uh, or good recording but ultimately you need to just start because it's really the song and 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 the musical ideas and and, and your expression you're playing that will make the difference so if you keep waiting for the right moment if you keep waiting for the right piece of equipment or the you know it'll never happen for you so like your your writing your recording your performances are not going to get that much better by having a new software synth or something like that you know what i mean you, you just sure. you have to get going you know? a painter can't blame his paints at a certain point for not sounding good so, you know, when you have a Paul Reed Smith, you know, $2,000 guitar and you have a full Marshall stack and you still sound like I do, you basically say, it's maybe it's your fault. Maybe it's your fault. It's not the SM57. It worked for everyone since the dawn of time. Maybe it's you. Siobhan, how do you feel about that being a violinist? Well, as a violin, I mean, this is kind of a weird space. You don't for even me have too. frets. <laughs> well, I don't have frets, but, but you know, because you say he frets a lot. <laughs> Well, for me, a lot of what I think about, you know, is microphones because playing an acoustic instrument, right? Like I'm just trying to learn by doing, you know, so obviously this is like a sound treated room. Um, when I've gone into other studios, I've always been used to playing in live rooms, different types of microphones. So as someone that's never been on the engineering side or, you know, the recording side, it's, you know, it can be overwhelming, I think, to, you know, realize that there are infinite possibilities of making something sound good even before it goes into the mixing stage, you know, especially in acoustic instruments what microphone do you use where do you place it you know a matter of where in the room it is and what angle it's at can make such a huge difference you know and i find it's hard you know especially as a violinist to find resources or information on that because there aren't but many what, violinists that are recording themselves they're all going into classical live rooms you know and being but you recorded. know what's really important with you and he alluded to it and i want to make sure we bring it back to this you're so good we could put my headphones and just Change them, plug them into the mic input and just point it at you. And, you know, if it was Randy Rhodes or Dimebag Daryl or Siobhan Cronin, it's going to sound good. She's trying uh, to play Paganini. I disagree. At <laughs> it, it'll be a great performance, but it will not sound good. Because <laughs> oh, I don't come know. On. Over, These I have, are really I have nice headphones. I have a question. Or uh, what's your opinion on close mic violin in a non uh live room situation because for me it hurts my ears and it's very difficult for me to make it no sound. it's awful i like, i, I, I cringe when i hear it yeah you like it's, a mistake. I, I you know it's something that i deal with um often because our we're we are in a i should just preface this by saying we're in a band that does kind of instrumental symphonic music and so we do a lot of 
strings and Siobhan does incredible layers and will send me a hundred tracks of violin that are performed immaculately. And then I, uh, who, you know, I, I think that I am passable enough that I've yet to be fired for my production and mixing. <laughs> well, we don't abilities. have enough money to replace you. Exactly. <laughs> I'm very cheap. Um, I have tried, uh, everything in the book that I'm aware of to get, to get a natural sound. I think that we've, we've done a, a pretty good job of getting there, but it's been through a lot of trial and error. Um, so what would be your advice to, to create a natural sound from a unnatural kind of room recording? Trial and error. <laughs> yes, I'm doing it right. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, that's an ulcer. You know, like you, you expect yourself to be a full fledged recording engineer and mixer, like in a day. You know, mm -hmm. where are your ten thousand hours? You know, like you are, um, you are you putting are you putting as much time into engineering as you're putting into like practicing your instrument? He better be, or he's fired. <laughs> well, Corey, Corey certainly is, but I certainly am not. <laughs> but, you know, but, but that's but that's my point, though. Like you know, you have to just start and yeah. do it, and then go like, well, that didn't work out as well as I thought it would, and then do something different next time. That's a daily. So let me let me ask you. A, oh, sorry, Corey, did no, you have something? I was just you were, saying okay. that's a just daily a quick, So. So, you know, with me, uh, my husband's a guitar player and he's much better with the engineering and mixing side. And we get into arguments, you know, frequently about, uh, you know, so, for example, recording a violin in a really dead room like this and then adding a room onto it. And how does that equate with actually just playing the violin in a live room and miking it at a distance where it's got that natural sound on it? So, you know, to me, I almost feel like across the board, it feels better to just get the right mic placement in a live room and it sounds great. You add nothing to it. Let's say it's just violin solo or violin and piano or something versus putting it at a close mic, like Corey said, and then trying to add all of this stuff on top of it to simulate. Now everyone this has an 80 room. foot room, dude. <laughs> no, that's true. But, but, I'm just saying even, but let's say even just a slightly bigger room or something where it's not right up on you and you've got complete sound treated, you know, sound booth or whatever. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, but that goes back to the experimenting thing, mm -hmm. and to your limitations, and to your budget, and your time frame. Do you need to have it done now? Can you go somewhere? Yeah. You know what I mean? All those questions, and then, really, what is it going to be used for? If it's, as you say, just a piano and a and a, and a violin, yeah, you might want to just go into a nice room and do that because that's going to be so much nicer and more natural sounding if that's what you're after. But if mm -hmm. your violin is going up against like six guitar tracks, uh, you know, a, a distorted bass or whatever, and then sample, you know, sample enhanced drums and like symphonic vocals and whatever else, you're going to have to cut through that. And a natural violin sound is probably not where you're going to be after, after that point, you know? Interesting. Yeah, so it's it's your end goal, and again, it's it's your vision, um, and 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 the, you know the experimenting of it. You know, like you, you go. Like, you alluded well, to something really important because I found this out through a lot of trial and error, and definitely the ten thousand hours of going back and forth, sitting as a guitar player originally and saying this is the sound I want, sitting in front of my amp versus what sounds good in a studio afterwards. When I've now had the chance to get the mixes or you take like you know we were talking to steve stevens and he was like you know you think my guitar sounds huge in rebel yell but just because of the way it was mixed you know i play it now with just the tra the tracks and it sounds kind of small by comparison and it's and Corey was one of the first people to to remind me that instead of just churning everything up that part of making things loud is learning how to take away from other things or finding where things um compete with each other so you you really alluded to that point, and I think it's so important that we mention it because it's one of those things that, you know, a lot of people are going to be in a basement studio. Siobhan, yes, if we had the opportunity to record in a church or a mausoleum, <laughs> maybe, because we know somebody. Well, I didn't mean something quite no, that, that dramatic. That, that, I just meant I, a slightly less but, dead room. But it's important. <laughs> but the thing to bear in mind is he made a very good point because in uh, the, uh, the reference of things, what is this being used for? Mm -hmm. And you got to think what's going to cut through. So my guitars, I hated mids. I scoop mids specifically because of Dimebag Daryl. Thank you. Um, and now I know I need that mid range because that's where I'm going to live if it's in a mix and I want to be heard and not stepping on everyone else's equalized dick. <laughs> well, but it depends again on, on what kind of what kind of sound uh, you have and how your guitars are tuned and where the vocal sits. You know, if you have a few lost me at tuning my guitar, <laughs> you and many others. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're talking 440, 441, 442. 
No, it's just any any tuning and a tune <laughs> in itself. Um, no, but you know, like the you the the finding space for everything is is super important when you mix. Like you know, the snare, the crack of the snare, and a lot of vocals and the mids of the guitars. They're all sitting in the same kind of space. So there's the cymbals, the uh, the the sibilants, and the fizz of the guitars. And the the low end, you have the kick and the the, the bass and the low end of guitars. Um, all working to, together, you know, and so like you have these frequency bands that have competition within each each each, each others or within themselves or whatever the health sentence is, um, and so the uh, you know you have to find that space where everything sits. And a vocal, a female vocal is going to sit different from a male vocal, and a growl is different from a you know King Diamond, <laughs> and you know what I mean. So it's all you know, and so the guitar sounds. It can very much step on certain things. And, and then when you add keyboard and violin and everything in, you know, like. It's can I translate this for dumb guitar players? So it's like when you're in your high school photo and they're like, find your windows. You can't see how ripped I am. The fact I'm wearing a maiden shirt, but you can still see my face and it, it is there and it does make the photo. Find your fucking windows because at the end of the day, not Corey says it all the time. Not everything can be loud. I have a compressor. I have a sonic maximizer. I put it on every track. Everything can be loud. Just so you know. As long as the guitars that are loud. Right. What? As long as the guitars are loud. What? I, I can't hear you oh with these crazy Tesla coils in my ears. Well, let me let me ask ridiculous. you a question about, you know, formulating a career on the mixing or producing side. So, you know, obviously the era where you started getting involved must be pretty dramatically different than it is now. You know, so many people are finding careers by starting on the Internet or going on YouTube or whatever. Completely different. So, you know, let's say if you're a musician and you're interested in getting into mixing or producing and you're just starting from nothing, you're a great, let's say, performer. You know, you kind of know how to mix. How would you suggest getting experience or trans is it still go and work for a studio be a runner like what what's the the process now of kind of getting into that throwing yourself into that world um that is a good question um you know and and i don't know that i am the best person to ask that. Okay. no that's fine i was um, just curious if you knew but uh like my 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 whole approach is you know coming back to this again sound like a broken record um is, record what's that i know right it's like what the what well, the, no they're cool now i heard they're cool record? now what does it what's a broken record mean what the hell are you talking <laughs> no but they're cool now now they know what the record is yeah, and people right? will pay 29.99 do you not remember when people were trying to give them away for 2.99 here's know, right? kiss alive now it's 49.99 wrapped up and it's got the smell of the fucking pot smoke for 47 years oh my God. and people pay pay for that versus the brand new 180 gram pressing of the same crappy record that still doesn't have bass in it because nothing on record does. Yeah. 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 True enough. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it is the thing, like if you feel like you might be into it and, and it, I'm sure like people who, who are starting out recording and, and, and producing and mixing themselves, like it's kind of like a, a, a slope, you know what I mean? They kind of mm -hmm. start getting into it over time as opposed to you know waking up one morning digging ditches somewhere it's like you know what i should mix records instead oh you know, yeah sure can i mean i, I, can can I stop you here because i actually curve. wrote a bunch of notes and i i went on to your wikipedia because there's a actually pretty extensive and impressive wikipedia so good for you um <laughs> and it starts off you know like engineer engineer then like production and then like mixing and i feel like every and Corey can empathize with this so i don't know if you've seen the movie zoolander but Fabio in that movie goes and he wins an award for being the greatest actor slash model. And he goes and accepts the award and he goes, I'm so glad that you love me as an actor slash model and not the other way around. If you were a producer slash mixing guy slash engineer slash psychologist slash pouring dime bag alcohol, you know what I mean? Like which order would it be in because it seems like a landslide started with the engineering thing and then you slowly got sucked in because no one else could do it um i don't know about sucked in i, th I think persevered is more like it um <laughs> because uh like in the beginning they don't let you mix <laughs> you only get to mix uh you know low budget stuff where they can't afford to get the big guy um and so 
you know, I, I guess I just got better at mixing and, and started mixing more things. And now it's different because a lot of people are producing their own records in their bedrooms and they send it to me to mix um, because mixing is hard, you know? Sure. Um, and so, yeah. And so. Um, mixing isn't hard. Mixing well is hard, sir. Because yeah, anyone can mix and you could bounce it right off and be like, that's fucking great. You put it in your car. Some dude's got his subwoofer going and you're blowing people out and they think they're listening to Dre. And in fact, they're just listening to death metal. Yeah, my mixing sounds bad on every speaker. So <laughs> it doesn't but that's matter how you where know. you play it. But that's a <laughs> how you know. point though. Now you know, what, you know, that you have, now you know what not to do. True. I've gotten marginally better over the last year. Yeah. That's just usually how bit. I put it. I just say like, you know, like, like 10 years ago I sucked and now I just suck less and I hope that continues. Like yeah. I, have, I have to ask you about the sucking less. You, I, I did watch an interview and you were talking about the grit in speakers. So I'm an audiophile before I am anything good. And so I know what good sounds like. I don't necessarily know how to get there. I have Martin Logan electrostatic speakers. You probably understand there's no crossover between 420 and below. So they're pretty goddamn amazing. But you mixed forever on NS10s, which are completely unforgiving. You know, so there's a balance. Let me let me ask you, how good do you want your monitors to be? Because I feel like you don't want something as good as the Martin Logans where I feel like I listen to Jurassic Park and I'm in it and nobody's ever listening on those speakers. But you don't necessarily want them to suck because you want it to sound good. Where's the threshold between it's worth spending money on the speaker because it's better sounding, but also transparent enough to tell you you suck? Um... It's very important to have speakers that reveal the problem areas in your mix because any, there's a lot of speakers that are, that, that just sound good, but they don't help you make better mixes. So these little Yamahas that I have, um, they are basically the, you know, the new version of the NS tens. What Siobhan has. Yeah, exactly. Um, and they, I actually compared them to, to NS tens when, you know, right when i bought these things and they essentially do the same thing which is kind of like have like a like they, they expose like that mid-range for the vocals um, five decibels seven decibel bumps for I fun oh dude it's just pretty like crazy the, no i'm yeah. just saying i read about those and it's pretty yeah. crazy it's like um, a weird so it, yeah it's thing. just like has like this weird mid-rangey bump that um you know it just it, it really exposes you know the stuff that you need to hear so you can fix it so it'll make a better mix. Um, and then I have these uh, big KRKs, uh, the V8s, which are, um, they, they sound a lot fuller. They sound uh, a lot better, you know, for in all intents and purposes. Um, but they still have a little bit of that revealing quality. Like you want, it, you want it to be kind of neutral. But the, really the most important thing is that they sound good in your room. Um, because and like the placement of your uh, of your speakers in the room, uh, this the just the room itself, how it's treated. If there's is there no a good test to know what sounds good? Because what if you've never heard good like good sound? Because one of the things when I used to sell speakers was how first off, how good are your ears? Like, have yeah. you had your hearing tested? And do you even know what good sound sounds like? So how does me, stupid guy in my own apartment with no treatment? know that these speakers I bought from whatever guitar store, reverb, whatever, sound good. Is there a test? Is there a way for me to measure besides, you know, like to know? Like, I'm in the sweet spot. Like, this is what I know. My speakers were good and a good investment. Um, As an idiot. There are, there, are, there are little devices around and, and, and plugins, what have you. Like, I think IK Multimedia makes a thing uh, where it helps you measure your room and stuff like that. Um, but really... Um, one of the biggest tests is just to simply listen to your favorite records and, and do listening tests with moving the speakers around, um, you know, closer to the wall, further away from the wall, uh, you know, on the board, not on the board on stands, you know, the, the orientation of your setup inside the room, um, can make a big difference. Um, and, but you know, like you, you have your favorite records, um, and if you listen to them on your speakers, you know what that sounds like, and you're going to use that as your brain reference. reference. Yeah. You know, 
Yeah. Let me let me ask a question. Let's say you're somebody that's starting from absolute scratch, as I have before. Um, you know, obviously, there's a giant range in the amount of equipment you can have to build, let's say, a home studio. What what would you identify as kind of the most essential baseline elements that you need to to be able to function and create something good without yeah, so having to So you can put hashtag producer for real on your Instagram <laughs> as opposed to just having Not one that I'm saying iMac everyone should become a mixer a producer and or whatever. One, and but. one like blue microphone that's USB connection. No, but this is a thing because some so people have this. Right now for this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some people have like the gear acquisition syndrome, right? Where it's like, I can't do this until I have this piece of equipment. And it's like the eternal black hole. (laughs) You know, it's the the eternal bunny hole of thinking that you need the next thing to be able to do this. So, you know, if you had to identify what are kind of the baseline essentials, what would those be? But, um, you know, you're asking me as a mixer, as a a recordist, or as wow, a, well, that's a good question. Am I, am I a composer? Am I a violin player? So nowadays, you know, nowadays a musician has to be all those if they if they want to do their own we thing. Can't so afford as, to have you be multiple people. What man. would you know if you were to to make a stew of all those jobs? Because we have to wear so many hats. I guess where where would you say would be the the place in the middle that where that meets? Um. Well, you, I don't know. It's, it's very vague of an answer because, um, you know, you need to have enough preamps to record what you want to record. You need to have enough microphones to record what you want to record, uh, a computer, uh, the interface, and, and some of that stuff goes hand in hand. Um, you know, the interface might have the preamps on it. Okay, so let me extrapolate this again for stupid people because I used to work trying to sell these things to people when you know mom and pop shops still existed and people would come in and go dude what do i need to make beats and make things happen and you know i got this iphone thing and plug it into my four track and it's like so for me to answer that question and you can tell me if i'm wrong the most important thing is again one determining what people are recording so -hmm. if you're recording only vocals or one track at a time all you need is one good preamp and all you need is one good microphone that can do everything and like an SM57, if you're really broke, I mean, now they're more than $100 or whatever, but a brand new SM57 can do everything that you ever need. And if you did have only 50- Get them used F- off reverb. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, then obviously the microphone, um, if you're doing vocals or anything besides just guitars or what have you, like a microphone, because that's, and then the preamp. And those are like the three that I always sell people. And then beyond that, if you want to do drums and all that sort of stuff, it's a different world. But those are the three things. Yeah, yeah, but the three things you can go and make, you could do guitar recordings, you can do vocals. And other than, you know, doing something drums, like drums that requires so many at a time, you can do virtually everything in your bedroom with those three things. And if you have a good mic, a good preamp, and then, sorry, I missed the DAW, you know, something that at least has a good channel, like one good, you know, and sometimes the DAW and the preamp are the same thing, you know, at this point, you're good. And then it's up to you. It's up to you. Now there's nothing saying I'm not using the right cassettes. I don't have an SSL board. There's nothing. There's no excuse to say you suck now because back in the day I could come to you, right? And say, here's a cool demo. And it's me sitting there playing into an old cassette recorder. I'm like, dude, do you get it? Do you get it? Now you have to send somebody already perfectly mixed recording that sounds better than something you may have done 25 years ago in your own mind. And they're like, that's not good enough. Go re-record it, Tom Schultz. Boston isn't good enough with these demos. (laughs) Well, I bet a lot of the quality too starts with just the quality of the raw assets, for lack of a better term, you know, the, the raw playing, you know, what, and that's what I appreciate about acoustic instruments and being a violinist is I feel like my ear has developed to, to be pretty refined that I can hear bad intonation even like of the slightest bit really easily or bad rhythm not necessarily while i'm playing it's harder but if you're listening to something else so if you can did you ever have a boyfriend that was annoyed that you're like annoyed with because they didn't have good rhythm i didn't really date many musicians until i got married <laughs> no i know but like but if they weren't musicians even the better because maybe they aren't paying attention to the fact that they don't have rhythm in their life does that bother you no i mean everyone's got their own thing okay might drive curious. me a little crazy but i'm never gonna you know, you know what bothers me? Point. What bothers me is when I see people working out and running to music that's in a different tempo. Than <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> that's hard. You know, they need to make an app for that. You, you type in how fast you're running on the treadmill and it figures out where your steps should land. 
Are we at that Slayer be nice. or are we at Beyonce? Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm a D- I'm on DJ. I was thinking about that app actually. You could have it. So um, because you know it, it it senses your like the phone senses mm-hmm. your pace. Yeah. So mm-hmm. your Fitbit or whatever you know it, it senses your pace. So it, it senses your BPM, and then you can just automatically just plug in music that's in that. Uh, All right, we're gonna we're gonna yeah. we'll make that happen. I was gonna say because Cor- Corey's seen this. Uh, I was a I was a DJ for a long time. That's how, like, everyone's like, how do you have all these guitars and all that? Oh, what band are you in? I'm like, dude, I'm a fucking DJ. How do you think I can afford said guitars and this awesome DAW? I have to go play Return of the Mac. I have to go play September, which is always good. It's always good. But then when you do it for a long time, you start realizing, okay, at, you know, one twelfth. You know, like, ain't too proud to beg. We're getting mom and dad out, grandma out. But if you want to slow it down, you're at 70. We're at gangster rap Jay-Z slow. But then, like, 130, 140, like, that's some 80s shit. Faster than techno, because 128 was 120, really, when Getta started. But I started thinking about this. So now I think to myself, baby making music, let's start at 70 BPM. Like, if we're making a thrash song... We got to go 130. That's what Blackmore thought was good. And what doesn't Blackmore know about thrashing around? But do you think about that ahead of time when you're sitting around with somebody and going, hey, man, you're playing it at 100. If you played it at 115, it would have a way better fucking feel with that baseline. Is that like a good question that goes through your mind when you hear Slipknot playing? Um, not, not necessarily Slipknot plays, but yeah, when, when, I, produce a, when I produce a band uh, that certainly comes up is, is the tempo right for the song is, is are we you know as is, is will hunt says can you fucker fight to it <laughs> i think my uh, favorite one was akon akon got proof of concept of his is anything going to be a hit should we put money into it he brings it to his local strip club and sees yeah. if the girls can strip to it and i thought that that was brilliant it sounds dumb and like a very strong pimp hand but like it Let's be well, real. Know your now, audience. How, if, if it wants <laughs> it to be number one, girls got to be able to dance to it. And like, we, <laughs> in fact, you were one of the only guys that broke that trend. Speaking of trend, because Pantera and Death Clock have set records for, you know, being at the top of the charts for being extreme metal bands. When like, you know, can Pantera do it? Can, can a band like Death Clock that's not even a re- really a band, kind of a band, awesome band, the best band that isn't a band, kind of cartoon band, and they're number one? Like, can you explain that? By the way, as you're making doggy style, as Sting's over there doing Tantra. <laughs> I have no idea. You're the sound yeah. of the 90s. You're the guy that's fucking loaded with yeah, information. We don't well, know what your question is. Because <laughs> while gangster rap was fighting out the, 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 the grunge of dirt by Alice in Chains. He's got Snoop Dogg over here, and then Dr. Dre sitting in the studio, one of the greatest producers of our time. What was that like for you, dude? Like, I mean, sitting as an engineer at Fly on the it's, Wall. There's just another day in paradise, man. <laughs> it's it, it, it's kind of like that. You know, we're, we're over in Studio B at Larrabee uh, with Terry Date at the helm, mixing whatever, uh, mix White Zombie over there, uh, uh, Death Clock. Which you got a Grammy nod uh, for it, by the way. Yeah, thanks. Um, and, uh, you know, Dr. Dre was in Studio A next door, and and uh, and he was still there, really. Uh, he was there uh, when I was assisting, uh, you know, projects at, at Larrabee and Studio B usually. And one of those projects was uh, working for, for Dr. Dre, uh, you know, assisting the tracking sessions and beat making sessions, whatever. And, you know, it's just, it, it all gets tied together by being in the studio and, and you know, well, I asked Paul Geer filling out a work for a work order, you know, the drummer <laughs> from extreme who now manages Johnny Depp and all, Paul Geary. He used to work, practice at this famous place in, in Massachusetts where Aerosmith and the cars used to play. And I say, like, did you like stand in the bathroom? And then the dude came in. Like, what was that like? And he was like, no, actually, it was because I did see Greg Hawks in the bathroom from the cars. And I was amazed by him. And like, I saw, you know, Rick Ocasek's car. And I'm wondering, did, did Dre like pass you enough times going like that honk? You can sure make an awesome sounding record. Let's get him on the shit. <laughs> None of that ever happened, but uh, they. What, um, These are the scenarios in my head. Once they called me Shaggy, I knew I was. Uh, I, I was they, didn't, they didn't feel like I was a narc anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it it was. Uh, I mean, I don't want to say like like 
a corporate vibe, but was was there different atmospheres and vibes on different records that were discernible uh, in the in the creation process and and you know with people in the studio? Were some sessions more like what what people outside of the industry pictures? Oh, there was a party, you know, everyone's doing shit. Or was it was it very much so uh, a, a very controlled environment across the board uh, that you know just the image of that like studio, you know, was it bubonic chronic? <laughs> 6 a.m. ain't leaving to the right, party's yeah. over like was was there different like vibes d- based on the different projects you worked on de- definitely um and and uh it and it's it was definitely different for um you know if i was assisting or engineering afterwards um as an assistant you know you're basically part of the equipment of the studio like the liaison yeah. um and so you know, your, your job is to make sure everything's going smoothly. So you're not partying much, but you could certainly have bands that come through that are partying and other ones are much more serious. Um, that those were more of the days of, of, uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Um, the, our, the, the projects we were doing or that I worked with as an engineer and later as a producer, they were, uh, much, much tamer, much more serious, uh aside from pantera of course <laughs> well i have to ask you because how important is sound design because what i knew knew you for was hearing on the radio ah, 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 and then i knew <laughs> dun, dun, was coming in yeah 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 dun, dun. Um, and hold that on because Charlie that was Clover one of the Rob. my first metal well, experiences ever with pantera white zombie <laughs> no, but yeah. i'm saying and that sound was how i knew those bands was all of that shit that you created? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, it's it's a it's a it's teamwork. You know, the, uh, the, the you know Rob had that vision of this disco metal behemoth of a of a of a thing, and Charlie Clouser was producing uh, was uh, you know uh, making these beats and 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 uh, doing all this uh, this programming. Uh, that's the word I'm looking for, um, and we transfer that stuff in and out and, you know, fill up tracks and tracks and tracks and two inch tape. And have this behemoth of a record uh, that we needed to mix and talk about carving out space for things, um, you know, that was, that was, that was rough to mix. That was a lot of, that was a lot of tracks, especially for back in the day when it was, you know, all on tape and not now where you can have basically unlimited tracks on, on, a, on playlists or, or on, uh, you know, and, and, and then Pro Tools or whatever. And, and yeah, playlists. They call them playlists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it seems like teamwork. I mean, so many other people on the podcast have said that, you know, there's so much magic in the, the collaboration with other people, which is why I think it's hard to advise what to do to somebody that's just in their bedroom. You know, how do you do all of this by yourself? You know, even for me, I know that clearly make sex noises into your microphone and put it <laughs> no, over but, your song. But yeah, having that ability to bounce ideas off other people and being exposed, even in my experience, I always you know, we'll come up with better ideas as an orchestrator after I've played a bunch of orchestra concerts, you know, because I've just had something that's taken me out of that, you know, that space for a moment and made my brain think differently, you know, so having that, yeah, perspective. Is there a, is there something you do like, um, to get yourself in a mindset if you're working on a certain genre of music or, or, you know, if you have a a new band coming in, you're going to work with is, or do you cleanse your palate and just come in fresh? No, I'm I'm kind of always going full full blast. Um, <laughs> never really have time to slow down and 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 reset too much. Um, you know, I, I guess I try to to cleanse my world um, for the you know to clear my head before I dive into the next thing. But oftentimes, you know, I work on on several projects each day. Actually. Um, you know, like somebody might need a recall of something and, you know, start pre-production on the next album. And while well, I'm still mixing this one, um, you know, what dictates how you break that up? Is it, you know, do, do you like to set a time limit for your projects or is it just when you feel the need or the, the motivation to go to another one? A little bit of both. Uh, some of it is willpower, sheer willpower <laughs> of, of, <laughs> of having to like put something aside, knowing that something else has to be taken care of. Um, uh, and other, other times it's just pure scheduling. It's like, okay, in the mornings, I'm going to do this for this week. And the, from noon to five, I'll do this. And from five to midnight, I'll do that. 
And it also depends is being dictated by availability of, of clients of, of some musicians that uh, some of them still have day jobs because they're in baby bands. Um, other ones uh, travel in town and travel to town and, and they'll, they'll get full attention because they have their travel budgets and their travel schedule. And so, you know, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, factors that come into play. And I'm the, I'm the least important one. <laughs> <laughs> Very humble. Um, well, on that note, we're, we're coming up at the end of our, our first hour here. Um, Ulrich, thank you Is for it taking over the time yet? with us. Have people subscribed? Did oh, they yes, know about yes, lawsymphony.com? Yes. Did they, Smash someone that actually, like button. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, someone, actually, someone actually messaged me today and they said, why don't you like aggregate, and he didn't use the word aggregate, um, but he, why don't you get people, send out like emails saying who's going to be on your show? I'm like, bro. You can press the subscribe button. It will literally tell you. And we realize we've gone like 38 episodes before we once said the word subscribe, which as yeah. anybody knows in marketing, you should say subscribe over and over. And thank you, Ulrich yes. Wild. Ulrich Wild's the man. Ulrich Wild's awesome. He's a great <laughs> producer. He loves Fender products like Van Halen. Those earphones are really awesome. Monster loves him too because he has one of those racks in the back regulating his power as we speak. And with that, you're 2020. Hope you stick around for later this week to hear more from Ulrich if he'll stick around with us. He's <laughs> out. Thank you for listening to this episode of 2020. As always, check out 2020-d.com. Like and subscribe to the show so you don't miss out on future episodes. You can also check out all our previous episodes there. Uh, this week's throwback clip is from episode number 44, featuring Daniel Hartwell, an event producer and author. Check it out. You know, where, there I was, this uh, thing comes out, Lollapalooza, I put together local Palooza. I do it for a few years. First year, a thousand kids show up. Second year, 2,500. Third year, 4,500. I get a cease and desist order from Perry Farrell and James Addiction. You know, it's all these joy lawyers' names on it saying- Is it framed on your wall? <laughs> yeah, we own the Palooza trademark. You can't use it anymore. So instead of crying, I went, Yahoo, I've made it. I'm getting sued. <laughs> I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts.